This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, Heidi, we've had a lot going on with this Malaysian uh, airplane crash, 370, which uh, as of today they still have not found. Very tragic. Yeah, it's really disturbing, and my heart still goes out to these families. I mean, we have done many shows on missing family members, and, and it's just horrific to have to not, to not know where your loved one is, to not know if they're safe or they're dead or what's happened. And you've really, also, really yeah, and you've also gotten involved in a lot, and so did I, with the 9-11 uh, victims. I know um, with those family members, uh, some of them did not, have never found remains, and some of them found remains over the years. They're probably still identifying some through DNA. Very tough. It is, and you know, the interesting part about it is when I think about back on 9-11 and those early days is there are, you can live for many, many days without, without any food. So, you know, every day that passes is another stressor for these families. And I remember after 9-11, a lot of families felt like maybe our loved ones were trapped in air pockets. Maybe they had amnesia. Maybe they were trapped in a subway pocket somewhere underneath the Trade Center. And that went on for a couple of weeks, actually. Well, one of the things about uh, the 9-11 and, and about, and, and I remember some family members wanted to see remains later and some didn't, and years later, um, it, it was quite a, a, an experience. And as I said, they probably still have some ad- unidentified remains. I'm not sure I haven't been in touch with that. I guess they called them cremains because they eventually, well, fr- strangely enough, freeze-dried the remains so that, found, so that they could find them. And the other thing I wanted to mention before we start talking about this is uh, that we've had um, uh, someone from NamUs on our show, and NamUs is the National Missing Persons Bureau in the United States, and you can go on the web to NamUs, and you can send in your DNA for them to try to find matches to missing loved ones. So I just wanted to mention that in the United uh, that you can do that in the United States. Todd Matthews is the one that heads NamUs, and you can also see our TV shows with Todd about missing people. But one of the things, Heidi, that struck me about this is that um, the uh, 370 crash is that those people, I think there were only a couple of Americans on there, and the people were Malaysian and Chinese, uh, the majority, and through the news media, we hear therapists talking, and you and I are therapists talking about uh, delayed grief, uh, an article in the Huffington Post on ambiguous loss, uh, interviewing Pauline Boss, different things like that. But they're not talking about the Asian culture. They're talking about what it would be like for an American, for them, and the families that they deal with. So we're very honored today to have Jerry Cox on our show, and we're going to talk about uh, grief and culture. So um, Heidi, do you want to introduce Jerry? I'd love to, because I think that is an important component to the story, Mom and one that hasn't been addressed enough. And our guest today, like you said, is Dr. Jerry Cox. Uh, Dr. Jerry Cox is Professor Emeritus of Sociology at University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. He served as the director of the Center for Death Education and Bioethics. He has over 100 publications, including 17 books. He has served as editor of Illness, Crisis, and Loss, and for the Midwest Sociologist. He is a member of the International Work Group on Dying, Death, and Bereavement, 
and he has served on the board of directors of the National Prison Hospice Association and has been on many, many other, um, served on many, many other things. He has done so much with his life, and we are so glad to have him here today. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be with you. It's great to have you on. Now, I know at one time you wrote a book uh, on culture and the American Indian and death, and I wondered uh, what your thoughts were about culture, and particularly given the Malaysian airplane crash, about uh, how the Asian culture may deal with grief a little differently than we do. I think uh, that all cultures deal with grief differently than the others. The, The one thing that we have to remember is to be culturally sensitive as hospice workers, caregivers, whoever we are, and unfortunately, many of us only use our own lens or narrow focused in how we treat other people. Uh, for example, uh, with with um, Malaysian people, um, the, the uh, daughter, the oldest daughter, is often expected to, to take care of things for the family when there is a crisis and to support her parents so that they're free to do their grieving, which many times means she doesn't get to grieve as well. And also the the idea is that um, that she may not even get married in order to take care of them as they age and uh, have other issues. But, of course, China, with their one-child policy, a lot of the traditions have changed over time. So so it's interesting thinking about these families uh, of this airplane crash all being together. Um, it, w- it might be an interesting mix because maybe the oldest daughter or maybe they don't have a daughter or maybe their their children are not there or, you know, uh, uh, People have, you know, have to be away from home for weeks at a time, and who can actually do it, and that kind of thing. So it's got to be confusing. Oh, extremely. Well, you were involved with 9-11. The fact that you don't know makes it even worse, and the fact that they're not telling you anything or what they're telling you is so ambiguous that you don't know anything. Not knowing is probably the hardest thing of, of, for many people in, in traumatic grief, and this is certainly traumatic. Yeah, and the, the stories, as Heidi said, with 9-11... The idea that uh, you know they may be on an island somewhere, or you know the, oh, yes. they and they may if even missed the plane and gone somewhere. Else. I mean, the mind can do all sorts of things when you when you don't have uh, the remains and and don't know. I had a friend who who died in Vietnam in a helicopter crash, and for years I hoped that he had somehow survived, got captured, you know, but he didn't, of course, but because they never found anything. When you don't have anything left of the person, it's it's extremely difficult to work through your grief. Exactly. And, you know, it reminds me, Mom, of when we had Mark Class on and his daughter, and he's now gone on to, to start a foundation called Class Kids, and he does a lot of stuff on missing children on the media. And his daughter, Polly Class, was kidnapped, and she was missing yes. for over 60 days. And like you said, Jerry, he said it was the not knowing that was worse than actually finding out she was dead. Because yes. not knowing his mind was going in a hundred different directions, and he was really tormented during that time, that he, which is where everybody is right now with this Malaysian crash, in that place where they don't have any idea where their loved ones are. And they announced this morning that the flight ended in the Indian Ocean, but that still doesn't give them any resolution because they don't know if they're on lifeboats or where they might be. Right. All they know is they said that it landed in the water. You know, and I was also thinking, uh, you were mentioning the one-child policy in China. My goodness, what about a family where they have the one child and it's their male child, which is the reason they, that they have a lot of uh, abortion and that kind of thing in China and also uh, adoption and things. What if it was your only son that just died? Yes. It's, it's, 
Um, I, I don't know if you read uh, Harold Kushner's book, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, but mm-hmm. you know his son Aaron died with Pejoria. And obviously when we, we think about our only child dying, it's, it's a tragedy. That's our future. I don't, Earl Groman, another rabbi, wrote that the, the death of your child is the death of your future and your parents the death of your past and your spouse your present. Their, their future is gone. Well, also in China, it can be their livelihood. I mean, the parents can actually, they, you know, they depend on that one child, that one male son for their survival. And also they bring, as I understand it, the, uh, his wife into the family, and she becomes the person who helps the, the mother-in-law out. And so there's this whole system set up that, I mean, can you imagine? It's got to be absolutely horrendous. Frightening, right? And like well, you said, we, Mom, there is no social security system. So I mean, yes. it's very you know the families really rely on their children as they as they move into old age. The the Chinese have changed their one child policy, or at least made it a little more flexible. So hopefully, the future will be better for them. But for these people now, where they have a, a forty or fifty year old son in that plane, yes, and the people there at, at the airport or wherever they're staying, uh, waiting for news have to rely on each other. Their families, are, for the most part, aren't there. And so they have to hope that the people around them are strong and can give them strength rather than being distressed and making it worse. And, and I was thinking about, you're talking about the one, uh, you know, the, the daughter in some of the families, particularly the Malaysian families, um, uh, as I said, may not be there. They may be working. Yes, and the Malaysian people that I know well, uh, the, the daughters typically do work. And, and, and thus they have enough money they can stay home and take care of their mother after their father dies or whatever. So they're a little bit different than the Chinese culture also. Well, and then Taiwan and so forth even be different than China. And China itself, just like the United States, has different cultures depending on what part of China you're in. This is so interesting for me. So I'm just wondering, I, I actually have a daughter from China that I adopted oh. in 2006, and so does my sister. We adopted children, daughters together from wow. China. What I'm wondering is, how do you think, because you are so seeped in the cultural differences, and, and like you said, we all come with our own lens, how do you think that people right now, the, the, cult, the Malaysian culture, the, you know, the family members that are waiting, how do you think that they are handling this different than compared to maybe somebody that's Caucasian from the United States? Well, the cultural difference probably would be, although I think it's breaking down now, that they would accept what the government told them more easily than we would. We're a more rebellious society, and we tend to not trust our government and to not believe them. But I think they're beginning to reach the point where they don't believe them very well either now. That's interesting. So they were a little quieter at first, and now they're saying, you lie to us. I, I noticed that because that that I didn't really think about that Americans would probably be saying that at the beginning, the first day. But I noticed <laughs> yeah. it's been a couple of weeks, and now they say to the Malaysians, the government's lying to us, they're corrupt or whatever. So, yeah, they have delayed that a little bit. That's interesting. So So they may have a little more delayed response to some of the feelings that Americans might be stepping right up, screaming and yelling right off the bat. And, and the funerals I've been to in China, they tend to be a lot more um, loud at the funeral, but not so loud before, where we tend to cry before and then be more quiet at the funeral. Just a minor cultural difference, but I've noticed that too. Oh, that's and they're more likely to be quiet now, but then later they're going to make a lot of noise against the government, the airlines, and the prime minister, and whoever. I've, I've also, that's interesting, and I'm also thinking that our culture has changed quite a bit 
in oh, this yes. country about uh, as far as as far as airplanes. I mean, pre nine eleven, I, I think we we would handle things very different than post nine eleven. Let's say if something happened on an airplane and someone tried to take it over, it feels Our like there's been a shift in this terrorism. country. Yes, and there's been a shift in this country that I think that if people saw anything that was going awry on an airplane, and there has been a few small incidents, people would respond and they would yes. charge towards the person that was doing that. Now, I don't know if this was terrorism, but I'm just thinking that our, we have, as a country, really shifted in the way that I think we respond nowadays. I agree, and, and I think that's what most of our people thought immediately, that somebody took the plane over. Whether they did or not, we don't know, but I know many people in this country have, have assumed that that's probably what happened. The pilot or someone did something bad. Now, now I want to getting back to the Chinese culture for a minute. Um, don't they uh, cremate there in China? Yeah, and they they do this thing with paper. Um, I, the last year I went to in China, they burnt uh, like a Ferrari that was made out of paper, so that he could have the Ferrari in, in heaven. Many of them are Buddhist, uh, you know, and other religions, but um, they burn money, even though it's not real money. They buy it at stores, take money, so they'll have money. And they, their funerals are, are very interesting and a lot of fun in a lot of ways. And, and they do it in a positive way. Um, there's less of the um, emotion in the negative sense, more of a positive emotion. Now, um, I like that. So it's more of a celebration of life, it sounds like. Yes, more like the Irish wake and so forth. Mm-hmm. Now, um, do they... Uh, so, so I think they cremate because of the land mass there. I'm not sure, as, and and if they still well, do that. Many people too. Yeah, it, it's such a populated country. I think there are over a hundred cities of over a million people. So that where you would bury them all would be a problem if they didn't cremate. Now, I have a good friend from um, Beijing. Uh, it's actually um, my husband's partner's wife, and one of the things that I found with Fang is she doesn't want to go to cemeteries at all. Um, she says Chinese do not go to cemeteries. That's true. At least the ones I've been around didn't. I'm sure there are probably parts of China where they would, but I haven't been to one where they did. Yeah, so th- so that's kind of interesting. They celebrate their life, and, and that's kind of it, and you don't go you know, on a regular vi- visit. Now, I would guess the Malaysians are very, very different. What, what they would do, though, is typically make a shrine in the home. Oh, yes. Uh, pictures, trophies, whatever. Rather than go to the cemetery, they would honor them at home. I think that's the difference. So, so there's, there's home shrines. And the other thing that I saw is when I was selling my house in San Francisco, when a realtor would bring an Asian family through my home, they would say, has anyone ever died here? Because if yes. they have, this family does not want to buy this house. Right. They don't want to deal with the ghost. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what about Malaysia? Do you have any uh, ideas about their burial or... Not much different than Chinese from what I've observed, but again, I, I've only had cursory knowledge of both countries. I'm not an expert on either one. Mm-hmm. But I just, visited, but that's and we had a girl live with us from Malaysia for four years, and she taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. And and anything and what she was Chinese. Yeah, and what comes up? What did she teach you about their culture? Well, in her family, the the daughter had to do things for the mother. She was the oldest, and she had many siblings, but she still was expected not to get married and take care of the family and things of that sort. Jerry, you are really rocking my world here because I am the oldest daughter in my family. (laughs) 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 Well, 
English um, English daughters have a lot of responsibility in these families, it sounds like. Yes. Well, I think in, in even in the U.S. culture many years ago, the oldest daughter often raised the siblings that the parents died, and you know they had a lot mm-hmm. of responsibility around the house because the mother would be doing things. So I, I don't think it's that... We had a, a uh, we have a compassionate friends group, and one of the people in our group is from Malaysia, and her two um, two children were killed in an automobile accident, and uh, she was in the United States working to send money back to the family. And I don't think that's unusual either, is it? That uh, they work in other countries and uh, to support the family. Well, even the, the, many of the Mexicans who work here in the United States do that, send money back home, right? And uh, when I've been in other countries, I sent money back home myself. So, right, I think it's very common. Yeah, I had to take care of them own. Well, the other thing that I was a bit fascinated with about is the uh, financial money the airlines are giving people. And I was thinking, my goodness, they're giving them twenty thousand dollars right now. I believe was the sum. And I was thinking, some of these people probably don't have much money at all, and they're giving them this money, and so they're able to leave their family and stay in this hotel for weeks together with no support. I mean, that's really got to be strange and a stressor. In and probably a lot of them have never stayed in a hotel, or some of them have not, you know? So being away from your support system has got to be really something. Yes, but again, I think in this case, they're all there together, and they're probably supporting each other. Just like after 9-11, people gathered together and helped each other. I, th- I think that's true, but the reality is um, it helps to have some familiar <laughs> stuff around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When we have traumatic death, it's like our whole world has changed, and it'll never be the same, and of course it won't be. And it's a shock to our system. We get numb. I'm sure many of these people haven't even begun to grieve yet because they, they are still trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, don't you think... Many of them won't grieve for they're, also, they're also holding on to the hope that That's maybe right. their loved one was one of the ones that is going to survive this, even if even if they crashed, I mean, that they would still survive. Well, I was just going to say, my friend in Vietnam died in 65, and this last year I went back to Arlington to where his grave is, and, you know, I cried as if it was yesterday because I hadn't really grieved for him because I kept hoping he was alive. Now that's thing. Right, Mom, to hear all these years later that you still held on to that hope. Yes. That he had lived. And knowing he didn't, but at the same time mm-hmm. hoping. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, I think uh, just one of the things I want to mention is as human beings, no matter what culture or country we're in, I believe there's some biological issues about the shock of a loved one uh, not being with us or dying and be missing. I think we do have, and I think sometimes it gets underplayed a little bit, uh, those biological responses that come in where we have these adrenaline rushes and all these hormonal things going on. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So, well, listen, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I want to mention to our audience that um, you will be doing the International Death and Bereavement Conference. Uh, and you can talk a little bit about where it is, June 3rd through 6th, and, uh, and who should come and where will it be? And do you know, have any idea your speakers? Or Yes. Um, it's June 3rd through 6th at La Crosse, Wisconsin, at the University of Wisconsin-La Crosse. It's on sudden and traumatic death, which certainly fits what we talked about today. We have uh, people like Bill Warden, who's going to be speaking, Rob Stevenson, uh, Susan Adams, uh, uh, Neil Thompson from Wales, um, Stephanie, uh, well, Darcy Harris from Canada, from Ontario University, 
uh, King's College in London, Ontario. But anyway, we have people from around the world coming. It is an international conference. And I know we have people from other countries as well that are speaking, but I don't want to take too much time. But you, you people have a great who lineup, attend, Jerry. You have a great lineup oh, of, of experts. Yes, we do. Now, how can people find that on the Internet? Yeah, uh, it's certainly available. If you go to the University of Wisconsin website, you can look under Continuing Education, and the conference is listed there. Yeah, I'm sure you'll give uh, continuing ed credits for that, right? Oh, they do, yes. Uh, Talented care, uh, nursing, social work credit, yeah, all sorts of different people get credit for it. Okay, so that should be a great conference. But let me say to uh, our audience who may not be a professional, these things are wonderful, and it's a wonderful opportunity to hear some great people uh, talk about the areas of grief and loss and and traumatic loss. Well, thanks again for being on the show today. It's been great uh, having you on, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Jerry. Keep doing all the work you're doing, and uh, we appreciate you being on today. Well, Heidi, uh, really interesting to have Jerry on today, and uh, particularly in the fact of, uh, again, this missing uh, airline and and what has been happening in the nation, and and the idea that uh, grief does uh, go across all cultures, but in a way, in the you know, we're all we have all those human traits too. Yes, it's it's interesting having Jerry on because it's interesting looking at the, what, what's similar across culture and what's different. And we kind of highlighted both of those today. Yep. So thanks for listening today, and God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.